Bring us in. Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're going to be talking about whiskey. This category has been on fire lately, with an average annual increase of 5.3% during the past 10 years. The straight American whiskey category grew 6.1% in 2019, reaching nearly 25 million cases in the U.S. That's right. American whiskey actually increased its share of total distilled spirits to 10.5% in 2019 and became the third largest spirit category by knocking rum to fourth place. So it's vodka first, of course, with cordials and liqueurs second, then American whiskey. But I should note that cordials, straight whiskey, and rum are all kind of battling it out for with 10% share. So, um, and tequila rounds out the top five. But getting back to whiskey, it's such a huge and diverse category. You know, where do we start? I know that you just wrote about the top whiskey trends for our recent additions. So what do you think is the most significant one right now? You know, there's a lot of trends going on with whiskey right now. We've reached this point where whiskey is definitely in a new golden age and has been for a while. So we're starting to see some, I would say, lesser trends, or perhaps that's not the right way to put it, but smaller trends starting to emerge. Uh, One that's really caught my attention is the fact that younger whiskey is starting to taste better. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. You know, obviously you think about older whiskey tasting better, even just whiskey that's in that sweet spot of like seven to 10 years or maybe five to seven, 10 years. Uh, But we're starting to see more whiskeys under the age of five uh, years tasting better. And this is coming from someone who hates young whiskey. I want to say before all of this, I couldn't stand young whiskey. I used to say that young whiskey tastes like wet Cheerios and battery acid. And and believe me, there's still a lot of really bad. Yeah. It's a lot of really bad tasting young whiskey out there uh, that's just getting released too soon and needs to spend more time in the barrel. But at the same time, there are some brands that have figured out how to put out younger whiskey that's tasting better. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is Rabbit Hole Distillery out of Louisville, which I think is one of the better younger distilleries in America. And the way that they're putting out whiskey that's a uh, younger age uh, but still tastes quality is just everything they do is top-notch and state-of-the-art in terms of production. Uh, This is a distillery, you know, that really spared no expense in terms of all of their production techniques. And the result is whiskeys coming out uh, on the younger side of the spectrum, but higher in quality and flavor. And, you know, it's not just younger uh, distilleries, or I should say people newer to the industry who are thinking this way. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and quote the great Wes Henderson of Angel's Envy, uh, a veteran. Uh, You know, his family has been in the industry for generations. He, uh, He said to me in one of my recent articles, I've never been too hung up about a whiskey's age. It's about maturity. So what if it's young? If it's young and a distillery is transparent about it and the whiskey is good, then that's great. You know, and a lot of these younger whiskeys, when you're looking for them, they tend to be rye whiskeys or high rye whiskeys, high rye bourbons, excuse me, because the robust spicy flavor of rye uh, achieves flavor much faster. And, and you know, I don't think you're going to have a lot of success releasing young weeded whiskeys. Right. I, I was just going to say, I, along the same lines as, you know, some people being very hung up on, on the age of a whiskey, um, there's also the, the trend of blends. 
you know, only two of the leading brands of blended scotch posted an increase last year, while all of the single malts in the top 10 posted some growth. So it wouldn't be surprising if you're talking to some enthusiasts who think, you know, the blend is a dirty word. But, you know, single malts, you know, they have to be made of malted barley at or by a single distillery, while a, a basic blended scotch is made from malt and grain whiskey from different distilleries. So, you know, for years, there's just been a lot of single malt snobbery, you know, but that thinking is changing as a lot of consumer, younger consumers just don't care. You know, they care about the taste. They like what they like, and it doesn't have to be a single malt or a product that's been aged X number of years. You know, do you think that's, that this is more of a shift in consumer attitude or that some of the innovation you've been talking about is actually resulting in better blends? I think it's both. And you're right on, you know, consumer attitude has certainly shifted much like in wine in recent years, blended is no longer a a dirty word in whiskey. Blended no longer means low quality. If anything, it now means more quality because to your other point, innovation has absolutely reached the blended category, especially in America and in Scotch as well, of course, but it has in America, you know, you have top shelf brands like high West and barrel bourbon that are winning awards all over the country and they're selling tons of bottles. And these are, expertly blended uh, whiskeys, you know, and it's giving uh, the consumer even more flavors to choose from as the consumers continue to expand and explore their palate. So blended whiskeys are absolutely going to continue to grow uh, in America. But that's not to say that age statements are going extinct. Obviously, many great whiskeys still denote their quality to consumers through the use of age statements. Consumers understand you know, what a 10 year old or a 12 year old or 18 year old scotch means or the same thing for, uh, for bourbon. Uh, I think there's room for both blended and age statements on the shelves. And I certainly see more great whiskeys coming out under both categories. Uh, one thing I want to say about the, the blended whiskey and the innovation and the experimentation. Uh, again, I'm going to quote the, uh, the great Wes Henderson, you know, uh, Angel's Envy, the brand he's behind uh, currently, you know, they're a pioneer in some of the new age whiskey techniques, especially the use of finishing. Uh, they, they really led the way in terms of experimental and uh, innovative uh, finishing techniques. So he cautions against too much experimentation. He says, businesses can get on the gerbil, the gerbil wheel of innovating for the sake of innovating, but don't do something unless you have a reason to do it. You don't have to come out with a new whiskey release every six months. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's true. We've seen a lot of new releases of whiskeys aged in... Um, rum casks, mezcal casks, different kind of things. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sure I've had one uh, aged in rum casks, which sounds amazing, but I, I can't recall it. I, I do remember at a recent industry panel tasting that you and I both um, participate in sometimes. And and the, the panel was kind of split about um, one of these whiskeys it gave aged in a, a former agave spirit barrel and they were saying you know well which is it what are you trying to be but uh i was kind of like well i like both spirits i think it's kind of an interesting result so it's it's just funny i do think that and i agree with wes here i do think sometimes when you're finishing all this experimentation that's going on and finishing right now excuse me you can uh sometimes lose the base spirit in the finish you know sometimes perhaps the agave notes end up dominating the bourbon notes and and you know to your point is this an agave spirit? Is this a bourbon? 
do the flavors blend correctly? I mean, Angel's Envy is a great example. You know, they're using all different kinds of casks, especially port wine casks uh, and rum casks as well to finish their whiskeys. And, you know, I know, for instance, a number of years back, they were using more port wine casks and their whiskey had a very pronounced port flavor to it. Uh, and then in more recent years, uh, they dialed back the port finishing a little bit so to bring out more of the bourbon flavor. So I, I think what you're describing is exactly what's going on, which also maybe I want to um, bring up the fact that, you know, experimentation with oak <clears throat> isn't only in the finish right now. In fact, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more uh, uh, different kinds of uh, oak treatment, by which I mean the ways that oak is charred and seasoned. I think a good example of this is the new Maker's Mark limited release series uh, coming out every year since last year. The 2020 just came out. It's absolutely delicious. And it utilizes two different staves. Uh, the first stave is made from virgin French oak, convec convection cooked at medium heat for a short toast period. And the second stave is made from virgin American oak, convention cooked at a low heat slowly over time. And then these, uh, the whiskeys are steeped in these staves, if I understand correctly. And that is bringing out, again, a new range of flavors for consumers to explore through. Um, and I wanted to uh, make one more point, actually, in finishing before we move on from this topic. Uh, there, there really is an explosion right now in the use of finishing. I mean, I, I really want to drive that point home that brands everywhere are now finishing in ways that's never been done before and just broad swaths of it. Uh, I think uh, one brand I like the way they're using finishing is Firestone and Robertson down in Fort Worth, another new distillery that I like a lot. Uh, they do the TX brand of whiskey. Uh, everything about their brand screams Texas. Uh, but what the, I, I was touring their uh, Rick House, I believe it was last summer, and they're aging bourbon in port, sherry, muscatel, cognac, tequila, rum, and more. And these aren't necessarily coming out as single finish products. They're being used to blend for the final house style. So I like the idea of all these different finishes being used to give their blender, who's phenomenal, uh, all the options possible she can use to find that to really dial in on the house style that she's going after. So I, I think that's another good example of how uh, barrel finishing is being innovative right now. Yeah. You mentioned Maker's Mark before, and they've had a private select program for a while that uh, I think it's been about five years, but they let their on-premise and off-premise accounts select the specific wood staves for barrel finishing um, for their makers 46 bourbon. So, you, you know, you can, I forget how many, it might be like four staves, but you, you can choose which one you want it to age in, you know, for the final finishing. And then you've got your own custom barrel. Now, I know they've worked with uh, some of the Marriott's and just a ton of different independent um, restaurants and retailers. And another recent example of something like this is Buffalo Wild Wings last month released a limited amount of a single barrel select bourbon from Buffalo Trace. And, you know, the master distiller Harlan Wheatley selected each barrel for this, for this single barrel select series. And, you know, it's, it's available right now at select locations as, as long as supplies last, you know, if they still have any left. Um, so I know that, a lot of the retailers are doing similar things with barrel pick programs. Is that what you've been seeing or hearing about? Oh, absolutely. And I did a panel on this for a 2020 virtual bark conference with a number of leading retailers. And I invite all listeners to check out that panel when it posts later this month. It was a very interesting and informative discussion. 
Because honestly, I think that uh, store pick single barrels or a restaurant pick, if we're talking about Buffalo Wild Wings, I honestly think this might be the hottest trend in whiskey right now. And, you know, all I have to do to decide that is look across my uh, wide array of whiskey nerd friends here in Connecticut, and I, I see what they're currently going crazy for, and that's the store pick single barrels. That they're, they figured out that that's where the quality is, and that's where the price is, uh, the, the good price points. For instance, uh, Yankee Spirits in Massachusetts, which is one of the better alcohol retailers on the East Coast, uh, they have on their shelves right now a single barrel cast strength of the 1792 uh, barrel proof whiskey. Uh, for reference, the normal version of that whiskey won best whiskey in the world last year. So we're talking about a very high quality product that's impossible to find. And yet here on the shelves are the store's own version of it. And then at a very affordable price, it's an amazing product. And it's all that my whiskey friends and I have been drinking recently. So these are really representing uh, uh, some high quality stuff at, at a very nice price point. They give retailers the ability to put up bottles that nobody else has, you know, and that's really what it boils down to. It gives retailers the ability to differentiate themselves and their competitors. And, you know, consumers collect these bottles. They try them from store to store, pick to pick. The savvy stores will watch what customers say about these whiskeys on social media, uh, and they'll figure out what people do and do not like. And that allows stores to dial into their own house styles. You now have stores knowing this is what the kind of whiskey that my customer likes. You know, they like a smoother whiskey or they like a hotter whiskey. They like a high rye. They like a weeded. The stores can figure out what their customer base likes and then make that their basis of the single barrel store picks. It's very interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it, it allows the stores to build their own whiskey societies around their store pick programs. It's a win-win-win for the store, the consumer, and the brand. And, you know, obviously... Uh, the pandemic and the shutdowns uh, that came with the pandemic have put a dent in the actual process of going out to these distilleries and picking barrels. Um, but I, I know from talking to retailers, including uh, the people on that panel is talking about, that uh, the, the picks are starting up again at the major distilleries. So look for more of these whiskeys hitting shelves in the future. Yeah, um, I, I received a recipe from a, a believe it was a steakhouse in texas and it was it was a, you know a very classic whiskey cocktail um maybe a manhattan or something but it called for their specific uh version of the the maker's mark the from the, the private select so it's kind of funny it's like well it's not nobody else can get this barrel so if we post this recipe maybe it's not going to taste quite the same so i just thought it was interesting it's sort of a plus for the restaurant. Like you can only get this here, whether you're drinking it straight or in one of the custom cocktails. It, it really is a great way for businesses to stand out. And, you know, I just want to give a shout out to liquor barn in Kentucky. We're talking about makers, Mark, uh, special select. I, I had theirs uh, one of the last couple of times as I was in Kentucky and it just blew me away. So, you know, stores like liquor barn, I've really dialed in on the quality that they uh, th that they're after, and just picking out some just phenomenal whiskey. So, if you see these on the shelves, pick them up. If you're a retailer listening, you're not doing this yet. You got to be doing this. Yeah. So as we're winding down, I just wanted to talk a little bit about whiskey cocktails because when you look at some of the drinks driving the whiskey boom, it's it's been all about the old fashioned. You know, that's the number one cocktail according to some surveys, although our research still shows that it's a margarita. But our survey also shows that um, 
you know, things like Jack Daniels and Coke or JD and Ginger are, are really popular at some operations. You know, you just, you, you don't think about some of those basic cocktails when you're writing about trends and really sophisticated mixology, but you know, that's what people like. And the Manhattan, Sazerac, Whiskey Sour, Smash, you know, I love the Boulevardier, which is like a, a whiskey Negroni. And I, I had something a couple of years ago called the Nor'east, Nor'easter, which is bourbon, ginger beer, lime, and a little bit of maple syrup. It's kind of like a mule, but really nice. So what's your favorite whiskey cocktail? Or, you know, how do you prefer to drink whiskey typically? This is going to sound like blasphemy, but I am not a cocktail person. I am a <gasps> drinking whiskey neat person. Um, I, I much prefer, you know, working in this industry, boy, do you get sent a lot of samples and I have about a million bottles of whiskey. And so, you know, I, I like to sample through, uh, with, you know, and, and, and drink them neat, uh, enjoy them that way. Um, certainly I'm, I'm among my friends, one of the more popular houses to visit because I have uh, everybody <laughs> over for a little impromptu whiskey tastings. Uh, you know, and before we go, I wanted to bring up one other trend, and this is certainly not a large trend, and I don't know whether or not this is ever going to reach mainstream the way that the people behind it want it to, but it's worth bringing up, or at least keeping an eye on the fact that more and more whiskeys are now starting to use the idea of terroir in their whiskey, similar to the way that wine does. Uh, you know, two brands. Terroir? They, they, they were starting to see a little bit of it. Uh, Westland Whiskey over uh, on the West Coast is really one of the leaders in this, and TX that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's also behind this. Westland creates whiskeys that reflect the Pacific Northwest. Well, TX uses a proprietary wild yeast strain harvested from a pecan nut on the Texas ranch. Um, and well, I, you know, I, I do believe that these brands succeed in creating whiskey terroir or flavors that reflect their area of the country. You know, Melissa, as your, uh, your comment there shows, not quite everybody is, uh, agrees with this. And I, whenever I write or mention this, I always bring up veteran whiskey journalist Robin Robinson. Uh, he's quite outspoken against the concept. This is a quote he gave me once when I was interviewing him about it. He says, and before I say it, it's important to remember, terror means of the earth. Think about it. You're putting of the earth into a fermented stew, which is then heated with catalytic effect in a pressurized closed environment made of metal copper, and then distilled and taken apart in cuts and finally put into a barrel. I don't see how there can be any of the earth left. As soon as you light the fire under the pot, that's the end of terroir. Now, I don't necessarily agree with what he says. I believe there's plenty of terroir left over, but I wanted to uh, show the counterpoint there. And believe me, plenty of whiskey brands are still going to be using terroir uh, uh, in the future, regardless of the counter argument. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's like so many other things where it's grown, the climate, the water source and so on. But yeah, sometimes you have to wonder if you're, if you're, distilling it especially you know more than once for purity sometimes you do have to wonder but um as we pointed out you know it, it's all about the taste if it if it tastes good and is balanced and and all that people today just don't really care as much you know, before we get going, I did want to say, we, although we didn't really have time to jump into Irish whiskey, I'll very quickly say that Irish whiskey continues to boom. And I think part of the reason Irish whiskey is continuing to do well is that it's become ar arguably the most innovative category in whiskey. I'm getting bottles of Irish whiskey that utilize all different kinds of cask finishes and very creative ways. I'm getting a lot of Irish whiskeys finished in beer barrels. So I, I think there's a lot of innovation coming out of Irish whiskey, and I imagine we'll uh, touch on that in a future podcast. 
Yeah, absolutely. That that category, like American whiskey, has just been going crazy in the past few years. And there's, you know, a couple celebrities involved. Some of the mm -hmm. old timey brands are, you know, really catching on with the younger consumer. So we have to revisit or visit Irish and also some of the other imports that we didn't get to, like Canadian, uh, Japanese, yeah. you know, all that. Taiwanese. So, Oh yeah, <laughs> we could keep going. <laughs> Israel, it's a lot of, France has some whiskeys out now. It's really becoming a global phenomenon. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, we, we will revisit some of the imported whiskey topics soon. Um, thank you for listening to On and Off. Absolutely, and join us next time. And in the meantime, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>